Because when I was reading more about this, I felt the impact this technology could have. And if at least half of the hopes that people have on this come true, like this could change like humanity like completely. I'm here with Vladan Jerjak, the PhD student in the electrical engineering department at the University of Florida, a host of the Neural Implant podcast and host of the Travel Wisdom podcast, both amazing podcasts. So first question is more on the philosophical side. Do you think it's possible? I'm not asking, I, ju I just want yes, no, or yes with a caveat, I th that's it. Do you think it's possible that we'll get to a, a point where the Matrix, the movie, the, the devices that you use, is that, like, that comes to reality? Maybe it's already reality. <laughs> Maybe we're already plugged in. <laughs> okay. You got me there. Well, yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, sure, why not? Why not? Like, uh, I, it's honestly, a lot of what they do is not that out of the realm of possibility. And, uh, yeah, like, it's, it's very possible, I would say. Okay. Having said that, uh, I think the first thing I wanted to go with you was your background and how do you came to these problems? Because uh, you've done your mechanical engineering degree in bachelor's. You did biological cell, like microbiology. Uh, biophysics. Uh, biophysics uh, yeah, as a uh, master's. And yeah. now you're doing electrical engineering. So it kind of has been like a jump. But I imagine it has all come to these problems that you're tackling now. Uh, maybe you can get say, how did you get there? Like, what was the journey? And what are those problems that you're researching right now that made it exciting for you to join uh, the lab and the university? Yeah, so right now I'm doing, uh, like you said, electrical engineering in um, uh, neural interfaces, brain-computer interfaces, uh, neural implants. And uh, we do the design and fabrication of these devices. And um, with an especially an eye to uh, making sure that they last. Because you put something in the body, the body wants to attack it. It's called a foreign body response. And uh, the body tries to like either destroy it or isolate it, kind of wall it off with, with scar tissue. And so we don't want that to happen. Because when you do that, you kind of isolate the um, uh, electrical properties and everything like this uh, from that. I mean, you, you want to have a direct, you know, d be directly plugged into the nervous system, the nerves, neurons, everything like this. But uh, obviously, if the body's, you know, trying to prevent you from doing that, that that's really bad. So we do accelerated testing, accelerated aging. Um, and we just kind of want to see, you know, 10 years down the line, is that still going to be, you know, working the way that you want it to be working, or is the body going to try to destroy it and wall it off? So that, that's kind of the, the problem that we're working on. We do different materials and, and fabrication methods to be able to do that. Yeah, so, so uh, this is something that's actually been stuck in my head, uh, implanted, you might say, for the last <laughs> decade. <laughs> You've done that joke before. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely have, definitely have. You know, I, I did an internship uh, during my during my bachelor's in mechanical engineering uh, at University of Utah. Uh, I did my internship uh, at a company called BlackRock Microsystems, and they make these uh, implantable uh, Utah electrode array is what it's called. And it's basically like this 
bed of spikes that they put into the brain and then each spike can read a different neuron and uh, then you can do things like control robotic arms and they've implanted these into to people. These are FDA approved so they, they've been implanted about a dozen people and um, yeah, you can control robotic arms, you can feel things, you know, all this kind of stuff. So it's uh, very futuristic stuff and yeah, that was like 2012 or something like that. So, you know, 10 years ago and, and I worked there and it was a lot of fun. Uh, but a lot of these questions that, that kind of came up, this form body response, glial scarring is what it's called, kind of the, the, the body walls it off. Um, you know, that was, those were definitely big themes, and that's something that we wanted to, to fix there. And so ever since then, it was just kind of like in my head, and, and I wanted to, uh, to be able to fix that. And then, yeah, I went to Germany and, and uh, was doing my, my stuff, kind of fun a little bit off to the off to the side, you know, and then I realized when I finished that, like I, I want to go back into the brain computer interfaces. That's the only thing that's held my attention for a long time. Everything else is like, oh, this is fun, you know. But but like you know, after a few months, I I drop it or something like that. But uh, yeah, so that that's basically it. And then and then uh, I already had the the travel wisdom podcast for a few years so i knew how to do podcasting i knew how to do that and so i'm just like okay uh by that time i was outside of the academic system and so i didn't know what everybody was doing and i didn't have access to academic papers they're like 40 bucks a paper or like 400 dollars to access the journal i'm just like no i'm, I'm good i'm going to talk to the the professors uh, themselves and ask them like hey what are you doing what are you working on and then from that find uh you know like the perfect phd because that's that's what i realized i wanted to do and that's exactly what I did. And that, that's how the podcast started. And, and uh, now I'm here at University of Florida. Mission accomplished. I, I did it. And uh, uh, it's a very weird way to find a PhD. But it can be weird things can be endearing to some people. And some people are just like, I've never seen that before. You're just so crazy that I have to take you on, you know. So that works sometimes. Was that what happened? <laughs> that's what happened. Yeah, yeah. So um, uh, I, I interviewed like... 40 people or something like that. And of those, there was like three that I was really, you know, uh, excited about or, you know, thought that was, uh, they were doing especially good work or something that, that I liked. And uh, one of them was here uh, and and uh, he had like an opening and so, it j- and then the timing worked on both ends. And so, um, yeah, literally, he's just like, come on over. And like a week later, I was over. And so that was a that was a lab tech job actually here just across the street. Um, and then the plan was to do biomedical engineering PhD with him. Uh, but funding didn't go through, you know, then then I was like, oh, shoot, what am I going to do? So now I came here all the way across the street to a collaborating lab that this is actually more aligned with what I like. Uh, and so it worked out in the end. But um, so this guy, the, the second one uh, that I'm actually doing my PhD with, uh, He's not so excited about the, the podcasting, but the first one was. And uh, so it's kind of funny because this one, <laughs> it's just lost on him, you know, but but uh, we'll talk about it later, like the, the benefits of it. Uh, but, you know, and I've, tr- I've tried to explain it to him. I'm just like, no, this is really cool. But uh, he's just like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> cool, cool. Yeah, we'll talk about the podcast later. So, yeah, I think this is a good place to just step back and ask what the heck is a brain computer interface? And yeah, like in the general, in the general definition, and yeah, for example, could you argue that a phone is a, like our phones that we're using are brain computer interfaces? I've heard that they can be considered prosthetics. So something, or like cy, what's it called? Cy, uh, cy, cyberonic, what's it called? A cyber... Oh, no, I can't think of the word. Whatever. No worries. Um, 
robotic cyborg 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 related stuff so i've i've heard that you know and and there you could make an argument that like contact lenses you know that's part of your body and it it augments your body all this kind of stuff phones too like i guess it could be part of your body like if you lose it then you you really feel nervous about you know losing it uh going around for a whole day or something like that without your phone it's it's almost like being naked so yeah you, you could you could argue that it's a something that augments your body that that's part of your body and and um, yeah, so so there is there's you know precedent for this. There, this already does kind of exist. So great computer interfaces would be kind of that same idea, but for the brain specifically. Specifically for the brain, exactly. And the way I think of it is that it's directly plugged into the brain, kind of like the Matrix, mm. what you're talking about, and that it somehow directly interfaces. Um, it's an invasive thing that directly interfaces mm. with your nervous system. Uh, there are wearable systems as well that you know don't require to you to open up your brain or you know do something crazy like that. Uh, it can be like a helmet or headphones or something like this that you wear, and that also interfaces with your um, you know nervous system. So so yeah, uh, it's 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 kind of an open it's kind of an open thing, and and you know we can get into that. I don't I don't like arguing definitions too much. Yeah yeah. But um, yeah no, it's definitely a possibility. Okay, so yeah, I think when I was started to reading about this stuff, I, for example, thought that like I thought of it as a device, but for me, I thought of it as two independent devices or like two things that did different different activities. One was just sensing what was happening in your brain, and the other one was sending signals to affect your brain somehow, doing something with that. Uh, is is that I, like there's devices that probably can do the same thing, uh, but that's like the idea, right? Just get something, get information from the brain, and do something with that, and also affect the brain somehow to accomplish a goal. Would you say that's accurate? Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And, and kind of like what you were saying too, it doesn't need to be two devices uh, that does that. I mean, it can be one device. It can be the same electrode is what you call it, uh, same input-output uh, location. And, uh, you know, you can send signal, receive signal, stimulate, and, and receive. So, uh, yeah, no, that's, so that's very accurate. one question on that. You just, said, you just mentioned ele- electrode. Why electricity? Why, why not just pour chemicals into the brain? Or why not just touch the brain and, like, do mechanical interactions with it? And see what happens. Like, why electricity? Yeah, I mean, actually, those those are all uh, very good other ways to uh, okay. interact with the brain. So, and then there's light, actually, too. So and there's light. something called uh, optogenetics. Okay, and then you can transfect, you know, the cells. You can basically put a benign, like a like a virus. Um, almost like the the glow in the dark jellyfish, you know, or or these glow in the dark animals. You can you can basically have the cell express that and and again you can send you can write and receive um information uh to the neuron but the reason we usually use electricity is because that's how um neurons neural cells uh communicate 
between each other. So they have, um, you know, an axon, which is like a wire, and then uh, a myelin a myelin cover, which is almost like the insulator. You know, when you're touching a wire, you, you want it to be insulated, otherwise you get shocked. Uh, and obviously, if you have a bunch of these wires together, they would, you know, have all cra- kind of crazy interactions. So you, so you want to have this insulating uh, thing. But that's basically how it sends, um, sends a signal between one neuron to another. And neurons can get very big, you know, like... Um, from your toes to your brain is probably only like three neurons difference, four hmm. neurons jumps. Oh, so, cool. so you can imagine like some of these neurons can be over a meter long. One cell, one human cell is, is over a meter long. And, uh, and then if you can imagine giraffes have the same thing. Okay. So from the bottom to the top of a, a, a giraffe <laughs> is, is, uh, many, many meters. And that's one cell, you know, for, for the majority of that. So, um, it sends it, it sends, uh, it chemically, and then it sends it electrically, and then sends it chemically again. So, so within the actual neuron itself, uh, from one end to the other, it's sending it electrically, and it's it's using ion channels, which is you know kind of a, a fancy way to do electricity. You know, okay, uh, uh, with, with the biological system, the body kind of figured out how to do electricity in this way. But then between one nerve to the other nerve, the one neuron to the other neuron is a very, very tiny gap, you know, like very, very small submicron. And that actually is uh, bridged that the uh, neurochemicals kind of bridge those. So if you've ever heard the word dopamine or serotonin, uh, GABA, you know, that's actually what's making the jump. And so you can, you can do that too. Uh, You can like, um, shake these little pockets that have the chemicals and, and force it, force the cell to send it out and then, and you can cause it to fire. Um, so yeah. And then, and then also you can, you can physically move it and, uh, you can, you, you can use, uh, you know, movement or ultrasound sound is, is kind of waves going through, um, you know, the, the body and everything like this. So you can force these cells to move and you can activate them like this too. So whatever turns on the neuron, uh, it works. And, and, uh, uh, neurons communicate with what's, what's called action potential. And you can think about it like firing a gun, you know, either you fired a gun or you didn't fire a gun. Like there's nothing in between. There's not like, Oh, I fired half of the gun or something like this. No, it's like, and, and it, you have a, you have a voltage signal and it just, it just has a really high and really low boom, boom, uh, signal. And that means, uh, that means the neuron fired. And then it's connected to hundreds or thousands of other neurons. And depending on the chemistry and setup and everything like this, the first neuron firing might cause a second one to fire, which might cause a third one or something like this. And it's just this chain reaction that we don't really understand. It's very, it's incredibly complicated because that first one is connected to a thousand, which is connected to a thousand more, which is connected to a thousand more. Boom. We have, you know, a billion neurons that we just connected to within, within three steps. Um, so, so yeah, it's, it's, it's very complicated. It's huge. And, and, uh, uh, but we're figuring it out because of computers essentially, <laughs> but, uh, hopefully that was, I don't know. That was, clear. yeah, that was amazing. That was okay. amazing. Yeah. Okay. So, and you touched on it, everything that, it, that I wanted to cover, like the complexity, but also that we're making steps into the understanding. Like it, it was really cool how Tim Irvin in the article you sent me, wait, but why you should check it out. It's explaining it's like, we know. The high level, how it works, because you can see always in like your high school classes that this part does the motion part, this part does the perception side. This is where you have your memory. And as you were explaining, you know, like the uh, tiniest, the, the small scale, 
the interactions there, but everything in between, we have no idea. So how do you approach that? How do you approach that having no idea into making it something useful, like even getting that data or just send that data? Like what, what data do you send or when you get the data from the brain, what do you do with that? Yeah, I mean, the, the short answer is you don't know. Uh, and you just kind of keep doing something until something works. Um, you know, I guess I guess level two of that is computers will figure it out and computers will uh, uh, do that. But, but also the brain will figure it out. So you may have heard about brain plasticity and how well the brain can learn to do different things. You know, if I put you into a room with a violin for a week and I said, like, you will die unless, you know, you learn the violin. You'll learn the violin. You know, it's not a problem. And, and you can learn skills throughout your life, even in adulthood. Maybe maybe it becomes harder or something like this. But but you can learn languages, instruments, uh, whatever, new sports or something like this uh, because the brain is plastic. The brain rewires itself. It's, it's another thing that we don't really understand. All those connections can get weaker or stronger or maybe it makes a completely new connection that didn't exist before and uh, that's that's essentially what learning is uh, but in the end I mean you can just have these random electrodes these random points where you send electricity where you can interface with uh, these neurons and then the brain just figures it out brains like whoa what's going on here like I have a stimulation all of a sudden and um, and every time I want to move an arm or something like this the st stimulation happens so somehow some way the brain learns that like this is what it wants and you can actually train the brain to uh, work with these very crude you know stimulations these very crude devices put into it and interfacing with it and then the brain just learns and does its magic, and then it can actually do something. So that's why um, this this company that I was mentioning, BlackRock Microsystems, you can put in these these essentially needles into the brain and uh, stimulate them and, and read them and everything like this. And you can people have controlled robotic arms and and like come pick up a bottle, you know, drink it, uh, this kind of stuff. One guy um, he fist bumped Obama, you know, and he felt so, it, yeah, and yeah, so. and and it's it's amazing stuff. But but the brain just kind of goes through the noise and just learns it. And mm -hmm. that that's honestly, it's not that we're really good. It's not that we're really, it's not that us as scientists are really smart. It's just the brain is so good <laughs> <laughs> that it just figures it out. And we just, we give it crap. And then the brain's like, okay, I can do it. I, I can, can do, do it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, <Fine>. so <laughs> knowing that complexity and knowing that the brain can be plastic and figure it out and, now maybe we can put our hats of creativity and and imagination and maybe we could touch for a couple of minutes what are the possibilities. Like from what we said, we have something, a device that can send and receive signals to the brain. We can, just with that, we can extrapolate it and come up with crazy the craziest things so maybe we can start with the most believable ones. Like what are the, like really amazing applications? For example, just what you were saying, like being able to control a robot arm with your brain, that kind of already sounds sci-fi. It's like what the heck is, it? and what other what other ways? I wanted to ask you, for example, on the more believable side, how can this technology could potentially impact in the future? or maybe right now, the health of a person. Like, what are potential benefits in our own health 
with this technology. Yeah, so as you say, like, uh, you know, the, the sci-fi controlling robotic arms, not everybody needs that. There's not that many amputees, yes. uh, so it would be better to have yeah. something that could help everybody. But I do, I do want to emphasize just that that thing exists right now, that is already mind-blowing. And not only mind-blowing in the technical side, and it's also, like, life-changing for those people. Like, just Google those videos, and you can see like persons that have been incapacitated uh, or like cannot move for years or ever like in their lives and that now they can feed themselves and be able to feel things that's just life and you could you, you can just see it in the expressions of their face right that like just doing this kind of work that is already here a uh, you're improving the life of somebody like in unimaginably. So how could that again be applied to maybe not everybody that's has some sort of like disease or uh, yeah, it's like not everybody is uh, lacking arms or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that, that's something that's really exciting for me uh, is basically interfacing with the peripheral nervous system. So you have the central nervous system, which is the brain. Peripheral nervous system is going everywhere else in the body. And uh, what's especially exciting for me is something called bioelectronic medicine. And so interfacing with the organs of the body, because the organs also have uh, nerves going in and out, you know, sending and receiving signals. And so what they're finding is that you can control stuff like uh, inflammation. And so basically arthritis, um, a lot of uh, uh, these kind of things that you wouldn't expect. I mean, they've also looked at... So is it kind of uh, like sending the signal to the organ is like, don't swell? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, okay. And I mean, you can think about the pacemaker as well. Like uh -huh. uh, you don't have to have a pacemaker with its own thing. Like you could just have the, the brain sending the signal. Um, and other signals, so like uh, pancreas to create insulin, you know, even in diabetics, there's insulin cells, there are cells that are alive. And uh, so you could theoretically, instead of having insulin pump or injecting yourself with insulin, if you're diabetic, you could just have a, a neurostimulator that tells the pancreas to, you know, secrete insulin. So stuff like this. So, so you can kind of bypass a lot of pharmaceuticals and just endogenously from the body itself, you could create this stuff. Maybe there's some signal that got lost or something like this, or, or maybe the signal's not strong enough. Uh, but with a, with the external device, you could actually overpower that and, and create your own insulin or, you know, um, do this, uh, inflammation thing. So, so that's, that's really cool. That that's a very promising, um, thing for me. Cause it's like, okay, we can get rid of pharmaceuticals theoretically yeah. and we don't have to flood our body with chemicals to have it apply in one area. You know, the pancreas is like a one or two pound, you know, organ and we're flooding hundreds of pounds, a hundred plus pounds of, of, you know, our tissue with some kind of, um, uh, God knows what kind of drug and what kind of side effects. And maybe it takes weeks to finally work and then uh oh you want to stop it then then it takes weeks to get out of your system and god knows what it's doing to your you know um uh endocrine system you know hormones everything like this but with a neurostimulator you turn it on you turn it off boom boom it's working it's it's on it's off you know so it can start working within minutes and it can stop working within minutes so if you're like I, i'm done then theoretically and that, that's how fast for that is. specific example just to be more skeptical is is it just that easy as sending the signal of just don't swell to the, the organ or 
do you think it might be more of a challenge that we're sending a signal, a signal that we think it might tell don't swell, but it might have like unexpected outcomes, kind of like the chemical drug. Yeah, definitely. Uh, that is something that uh, happens, and and the way the uh, the swelling, you know, the uh, inflammatory response, they, they think it goes through the spleen and through the what's called the vagus nerve, which is a bundle of nerves that goes kind of zigzags through your body and, and connects to, to a lot of um, organs. Uh, but as you can imagine, if you're trying to connect into the, if you're trying to stimulate this, you might be stimulating that whole bundle or a different part of the bundle than you think, and it might be stimulating a different part, different organ or something like this. And there could be side effects. Or what's very common is because the vagus nerve goes next to the throat, usually put it, you can have a wearable device next to the throat, and that stimulates it. But as you can imagine, if you're stimulating your throat, you might have hoarseness in your in your throat or what is kind hoarseness? Of, uh, like kind of uh, feeling. Uh, like itchiness too, okay. or, or kind of like a deep voice, or, or like you, you kind of your voice sounds weird or okay. feels weird. Just because there's uh, a device in here, because there's a device there and it's okay. stimulating. It's it's like electrically mm. uh, enabling it or turning it on, and it's and it's doing weird stuff that the that the body wouldn't do. So you, you can get weird side effects. So it's it's like kind of I would say uncomfortable side effects, mm-hmm. or maybe not so harmful. I, I would argue. Uh, versus, you know, chemicals in your body, God knows what, yeah. what's going on where. But this is like, oh, I, I feel I feel like I have an itchy throat or something like right, this when, right. whenever it's turned and on. And it would be for sure contrast, uh, counterbalanced by the potential benefits of it. Yeah, yeah. For sure. And you have to decide if, if it's worth exactly, it for you. Exactly, exactly. So, yeah, we can touch about that. Like, I would say that it's always going to be like a personal decision, right, whether to do it or yeah, not. Yeah, of course. But, like, we touched on the health like more on the like physical health that we can see also i was thinking that there could be like many psychological benefits too right when you have something tapping to your brain that kind of knows like just receiving signals you could exploit that in many interesting ways for example you could have a log of oh i'm eating my lunch and I know because of the data in my brain that I'm that I'm collecting, this made me feel bad. Or I'm with this person and this kind of made me feel awkward. Is, is that kind of like possibilities that you can see? It's like basically more like introspection with aided introspection, like knowing more of yourself because now you have more quantitative data uh, instead of the normal qualitative data that... We're used to. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you can think about it like a Fitbit for everything, you know, like, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and then maybe even you might be able to say like, oh, I'm 10% happier when I eat cheeseburgers mm-hmm. or something like this, but, but really be able to quantify that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and I think that's, that's also something that's very exciting for me and, and something that I think is uh, very promising is, is to be able to then find these correlations, be like, oh, you know, when I eat chocolate ice cream... No like somehow this isn't this isn't feeling good, but um, but if I eat vanilla, then it's okay, you know. So so it can be. Um, I, I think that I think you can open up a lot of things, you know, kind of these correlations that we wouldn't really see, and a lot of times to see it on ourselves is difficult. It's difficult, yeah. But for for other people, you can see it on somebody else. Be like, oh, especially if you have kids or something like this, you're like, oh, wow, the kid, you know. Can't eat sugar or something like this, or mm-hmm. I don't know, whatever. But but uh, you can find these correlations that are, um, 
a little bit less visible, I guess. Yeah, 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 yeah. And also, yeah, going back to the physical thing, just tapping into organs and devices and the brain, you could, for example, have a camera that it's connected to your brain and be able to stream pictures that you can see. That's that's something that's already kind of right now happening right now, at least in the lower resolution side. But we could extrapolate it to the future and say, yeah, even if you took your eyes out, you could just put cameras in there, connect it to your brain, and be able to see perfectly in 4K. And you don't have to be limited to the visible spectrum. You can see x-rays, you can see, you can radio see ultraviolet, waves, ultraviolet yeah, yeah. all this kind of stuff. I haven't thought of that. Who, yeah. says, who <laughs> says those cameras need to be connected to you? Maybe you, you, you're looking at something across the world. You know, right, the, right. The, there's no limits. Like, really, like, there's, there's no limits. You can do whatever you want. <laughs> right. Yeah, I haven't thought of the ultraviolet. That, one, that one's interesting. Yeah, you can for sure expand whatever sensory experience that you have that you're not getting you could even get like temperature detectors and be able to do like a have you seen daredevil and mm. uh, it's it's like it's a like a comic book hero that it's since he, he got blind then he can like feel micro air variations and temperature and just with that he can for example see your face so we could theoretically like do stuff with or similar to that. Like we could just put a bunch of sensors, plug them to our brain and do stuff with that. Even plug it to the internet. Like just receive stock market data. And it's like, oh, I know the stock market is going up because I feel it. So it's like, oh, sell, stuff like that. Yeah, with what other crazy like medium term, uh, medium future term, uh, possibilities can you see yeah a lot of those you know are, are definitely possibilities and and people have already done that you know they they've put in chips under their skin and and uh, they can you know get into buildings or they can you know yeah uh unlock their door or something like this with yeah. their actual you know body or something like this uh again kind of this this cyborg uh yeah. you know idea but um, yeah, I mean the the uh, possibilities are endless. I mean retinal implants are something that that exists too, and so so that that's what you're talking about was the being able to see, and this is something that that is actually being researched right now. And there there have been lots of people that were blind before, and uh, or, or they had a, a disease that that caused them to be blind, and um, with these implants they were able to see again. So this is you know it sounds like uh, science fiction, but it's not. It's actually it's happening right now, and so there, there's tons of stuff like this too, and and uh, you know. I, I know a decent amount of companies, and, and so if you have specific questions or something like this, I could be like, yep, it exists, or no, it doesn't <laughs> exist. Memory implants, that's another one uh, that basically... Like implant uh, memories? So not not like implant memories. It's almost like you can think of it like you remember, <laughs> or you're, you're at a heightened state of awareness, mm. and uh, so you remember much better. And so you, you can't... We, we're not to that level... Uh, like in the Matrix where it's like, oh, I know Kung Fu. Mm -hmm. And you can teach somebody Kung Fu uh, because that's a much more complicated thing that we don't really understand. But we can make it that if you're learning Kung Fu and you can learn it faster because Mm -hmm. of this. You know, you're you're in a heightened state of awareness as it's going on. So, uh, yeah, just kind of crazy stuff, whatever. (laughs) It's it's weird because a lot of the stuff that sounds more science fiction-y 
is often easier than the other stuff, you know? So, so really how hard or easy it sounds, it, it doesn't really correlate to how hard actually, or easy it is, yeah. how, how actually it is. Yeah. Okay. And like, for example, playing music in your head. So not being able to have the headphones on, just taking your phone or just leaving your phone in the house and say, play queen for the last 10 minutes for the next 10 minutes. And you'll have, you don't even need a speaker. You'll have like the electric connections to feel sense music or you can say music you can say foods so you could taste a burger without eating the burger because at the end that's like people don't really like i'm just saying this stuff because when i was reading more about this i felt the impact this technology could have and i would agree with many people that say this kind of if at least half of the hopes that people have on this come true, like this could change like humanity like completely. Like for example, you could get into questions that I was talking of food and music and like touch a button and have orgasms. Uh, so when that happens, like for example, questions of would having those experiences directly transmitted to your brain take away from the real life experience? Do you have a take on that? Like, for example, if if I could just have my phone or whatever in the future and taste sushi, and I taste sushi, taste sushi, taste sushi, would I want sushi the next few hours? <laughs> Yeah, I mean that that definitely uh it, it does feel like it would cheapen the experience, right? And mm-hmm. maybe something maybe not not even sushi like caviar, something special, yeah, you know, yeah, that, yeah. that's difficult to get or expensive or something like this. Um I mean honestly, I think that's kind of the the path of humanity. Things that were impossible before and things that, you know, were only for kings even a hundred years ago. Now everybody has it, you know, like I can have unlimited entertainment from around the world, you know, and I have people acting and dancing and singing for me at a touch of a button. And, uh, you know, it was unimaginable. Yeah, yeah, it was unimaginable. Exactly. Exactly. So, so does that cheapen it? You know, does that, (laughs) does Spotify cheapen music? Uh, And I mean, it it just shortens it maybe by one step. Yeah. I don't know. I I don't think it's too bad. Definitely there are people that are going to be sucked into it and, you know, uh, become addicted and and can't get out or something like this. The the touch orgasm, maybe they just keep touching the button. But uh, I don't know. I I think that's always been an issue. I think that's always happened. And it will continue to be an issue. And it will continue, yeah. My my thinking is always um, with technology and progress and everything like this. It's it's more of the same, same same but different. I would say same same but faster, or same same but more. So, all technologies, I would say, is really just sped up the um, the interface or, or how quickly we can get something uh, compared to you know in the past or something like so. WhatsApp uh, communication, yeah, you could have written a letter and sent it you know with somebody on a camel and give it to somebody. And be like, you know, send a send a smiling emoji or something like that, you know, on a piece of paper or something like this. And that would have taken maybe a month or something like that. I don't know. And it cost it would have cost a lot of money. Uh, maybe, I don't know, a day's wages or something like that to be to be able to send something like that. Now we can send it for what on WhatsApp pretty much for free. But it's just it's just a, a multiplier. It's just like how much 
how much faster, how much cheaper, how much better is it? And so I think I think a lot of these kind of direct, you know, implanted in the brain stuff, you know, maybe maybe it cuts it down by I don't know, maybe it's ten times easier, ten times better, or something like this. But it's still something that's existed. It's not like a completely new thing that's you know being invented. So I think I think it'd be okay. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. I I, I kind of agree. But for example, you could stretch it. You could stretch it for a matrix type device, like where you completely detach. If you can feel, you can. If you could listen to music, if you could savor music, you could just beam a video that instead of being here at UF, you're in Hawaii, and or in a castle with dragons and. People are doing whatever you want, and you're just always in pleasure. Yeah, that, that can get kind of scary, right? It can, for example, like in the medium term future, like VR stuff, like if one can immerse yourself outside of reality, then is that okay? Like, would would you would you do it? Would you would you spend your life in a matrix type device if you can just be happier there yeah maybe i mean i I don't think i would because i think you have these kind of like short-term pleasures and uh, long-term things so so maybe the short-term ones feel good in the moment but then then you might feel like oh i need i need to work towards my goals or i need to kind of these do these long-term things and i think that's always going to be there um yeah but but definitely i mean i think that that it happens even now like uh, young men, especially in uh, video games, video games and porn. You know, those are the two, and and you can get lost in it and be like, "Whoops, there goes five years of my life." Because yeah. pretty much yeah. this, because they simulate a lot of this stuff that uh, you're, I guess, looking for these long term goals, especially in video games where uh, you're building up your character over a longer period of time, finishing a mission that might take you know many weeks or months or something like that. Um, so it kind of simulates life in that way, you know, as you're progressing through life and, and kind of get these different rankings or something like this and, and work over years to build something, then, uh, yeah, it kind of simulates it, you know, some people can get sucked into it. So yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah. And I, ruin some life. So, and I've liked how you've phrased it before that this thing is always going to continue. So this thing, I mean, technology and technology is a tool, right? Maybe you can explain explain again why is technology a tool yeah i would say technology is neutral you know hammers are not positive or negative things like it depends how you use it you can use a hammer to build a house or you can use a hammer to kill somebody uh so it's just how the the person uses it. it's a multiplier it's again it's a and, and again you can multiply positive numbers you can multiply negative numbers uh but the multiplier itself you know it, it doesn't change so i think technology is exactly that i think it's a multiplier um and so that that's why i'm also what i was saying before is like it's not adding anything completely new usually most of the time uh it's just multiplying what was before right right yeah yeah i i would agree with that i I would agree that it's up to us to decide what to do with that tool it's up to the engineers the designers the users the politicians people should think about how to use this stuff and how it impact themselves and then how it impact others 
and just make decisions according to that, but not necessarily be afraid of technology, right? Because technology is not necessarily a bad thing. And if you don't like technology, I mean, you can go live with the Amish or you can go live in Papua New Guinea with the tribes and everything like this. But I mean, if you look at how many people actually do that, it's very little. It's very few people that actually do that because technology is good and, and uh, you know, it makes our life easier. And I think that's evidenced by the fact that nobody's going the other direction. Like literally nobody is like, I'm done with technology. I don't need plastics anymore. I don't need computers anymore. I don't need, you know, clean drinking water, all this kind of stuff. I'm going to go back and live, you know, like they lived a few hundred years ago or something. Yeah. Nobody does that. Yeah. Oh, at least not too many people. Or at least, yeah, because you could, you could. One you, in a thousand maybe. Yeah, exactly. Right? And you could argue, you could make the decision of making it smart, right? Of, oh, maybe I don't want to use social media because it affects myself and my behavior and my mood. But I do want to use my phone and be able to talk to my father and mother that are miles away. So, yeah, it is choice and it's up to you how you use that tool. And if you want to live with the Amish but check your email once in a while, yeah, do that, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you can do what you want. <laughs> right. So now that we've passed the uh, creative side, I wanted to ask you, since you have the experience of talking with people that are in the in the field right now, what is the current state of the art? Like what actually happens right now? What what are the breakthroughs and who's doing the breakthroughs? And that's kind of like a long question, but for example, maybe you could if you could answer the long question or you can just start with, for example, BlackRock. What what does what do they what are their goals in at least in the near future? Yeah, I mean I think they want to make better uh, interfaces and they they've also kind of gone into this wearable side of things. So it's not only the invasive implantable, surgically implantable things, but but also the, the wearable side. And uh, you know, the name of the game for most people is more electrodes. So more points of contact, more individual uh, communication channels between the neurons. And, um, you know, when I was there, uh, 96 channels was kind of like what they were, what they were at. And I think, I think they're up to 256 now. And, and there's other companies that are even at like 40,000 or something like this. So they can theoretically engage with 40,000 different neurons and tell each of those to do something different. And kind of the, the benefit of that is that, uh, if you, you have more, finer control over, you know, what you, whatever you're trying to do. So if you're trying to move a robotic arm instead of, you know, doing one degree of freedom where you can only open and close, you know, your fingers almost like a hook or something like this, you can move and play the piano and do some some kind of more fine motor control, assuming you know how to play the piano. Um, you, you can play that. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> but yeah, with, with more electrodes, you can you you can control more things theoretically. So so people and companies are definitely wanting to, to up that. You know, and, and mm -hmm. there's a, a you, you may have heard of Moore's Law, which is a doubling of computer power every 18 months. And that's actually why all this technology is possible, because you double like that for, you know, 60 years or 80 years or however long it's been going so far. That's a lot of doubling. And if I remember hearing something, it was like if car technology and like the speed of cars 
uh, doubled or, or, you know, went as fast as that. We'd be from here to the sun in like five seconds or something like this by now. And so, um, but anyways, there's a there's a similar doubling of the number of electrodes in uh, brain-computer interface or mm. neural implant. And uh, so it's not every uh, 18 months, it's every seven years that the number doubles. Okay. So you have a lot more factors, so it's slower. Um, and, it's a good progress, yeah. But yeah, but it's progress. And, and you know, it's, it's still, it's kind of early to be showing that, uh, that curve, but, but it, I think it's real. And, and, uh, basically you're, you're, you're doubling every, every seven years. And so, uh, you know, eventually we'll be at, like I said, 10,000, hundred thousand. The, the brain is supposed to have 80 billion, uh, no, sorry, 80 billion, uh, neurons and neural, uh, neural, uh, nerve cells. And so, uh, Basically, as soon as we get to the 80 billion number, we can connect with each, the brain, every single yeah. one, every single part of the brain. And then at that point, definitely be like, oh, I know Kung Fu. <laughs> but, you know, I, I think that's the biggest thing is, is kind of, you know, in increasing the, the channel counts and, and the finesse that they can control different things with. And, and you're more specific in what you're targeting and you can target a much smaller, you know, thing and, and group of cells versus blasting a whole region, you know, with, with the electrical signal or something like this you can be right. very precise in in which which nerves you're you're mm-hmm. uh signaling with. so you and i imagine there's companies trying all those approaches right i imagine there's not really a way that the industry has converged to doing things there should be or i imagine there's still like a lot of trial and error and a lot of oh maybe we could tackle all this zone or this with this many electrodes or just specific specific to this or as you were saying like tackle even a peripheral nervous system so what are how would you describe the the breakdown how would you break up the companies like is is there a way that you break them down of these people are trying to solve this problem or introduce the technology in this way to consumers and these other people are doing this other way is that like how do you think about this yeah definitely i mean the and this goes to the beginning of our conversation was like how do you uh talk to a nerve how do you how do you kind of get it to fire mm-hmm. and again you can do it electrically you can do it physically you can do it optogenetics you know optically with light um you can have wearable you can have implantable so so yeah definitely like all these companies have these different ways of doing it and and it's not really settled like which is the best way and then maybe maybe there might be best uh, practices best ways to do things for specific applications so if you want to you know a retinal prosthetic that has to be implanted into the the brain to be able to see or something like this maybe that has to be implantable maybe you can't do a wearable maybe you can't do optogenetics or something like this or maybe something where you're trying to block a nerve block some pain you know somewhere in the body or something like this Maybe you shouldn't use electrical. Maybe you should use uh, these kind of more physical, mechanical methods like uh, 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 ultrasound or, or something mm-hmm. like this. So, you know, it, it definitely is. There's these categories of companies, and, and everybody's trying to figure it out. And you know, nobody nobody can actually say that they've figured it out. You know, until they've won in the marketplace. I guess like mm-hmm. when you start seeing one company like taking over everything, then they'll be like, oh, okay. They yeah. had they had the right idea, and it hasn't been so far. I don't think so. I don't think so. It's still it's still kind of a wild west. Everybody's you know figuring it out, and and uh, but it's cool realize. that there has been kind of recently an uptick in 
money being poured into this industry. For example, you could touch into Neuralink that I would say has made this topic a little more mainstream. Right now, people like me that are not in the industry uh, were aware that stuff uh, that people are working on this stuff, right? So how has how have you seen the impact of Neuralink and could you explain maybe what it is and how are they approaching things? Yeah, so Neuralink is a Elon Musk company and, and uh, it's baking, making uh, uh, brain-computer interfaces uh, with kind of a sewing machine and like these threads that have a bunch of electrodes on them. I really like it. I think it's really cool. Uh, I think they've kind of taken the best of all technologies. And again, there, there's like six different, you know, categories of, of people and everything that, that had to be involved in this. And, and so they've, they've I think, successfully taken the, the best components of all those. And, um, you know, because it is Elon Musk, it brings a lot of attention uh, to the field. So that was about the time that I started the podcast. And, and so I was like, I was almost a little bit like, oh, shoot, well, now everybody's going to know about it. But, uh, but it might be good. It's like, oh, nice. Now everybody's going to know about Definitely, it. definitely. I mean, it's it's amazing. I mean, Elon, uh, they he, he's he's a master at you know raising money, and uh, some people have called him like the best allocator of resources uh-huh. you know on the planet right now. And so I think his company uh, Neuralink has raised two hundred million dollars, which is just incredible. Oh, like wow. that's a lot of money uh, mm. for our field. And what that also does, a lot of these companies like BlackRock, for example, another one, Synchron, last year twenty twenty one, they also got funding. Yeah, they also got like. Twenty million dollars or five million dollars, yeah, ten million dollars. They can get into the hype, right? They can get exactly. into the and it could be like we're the the Neuralink killers, you know, we're the ones that are gonna, you know, take down Elon once and and once and for all. So so you kind of get these like rivalries of, of money, which is healthy. It's and it's and if you're in the middle of it, you know, if two groups of people are throwing money at each other, you know, and like whoever has the bigger pile of money in the end wins. That's awesome. That that's a good place to be. Is is in the middle. Uh, that means you're not going to be limited by a lot of funding. And so, yeah, 2021 was like the max of uh, you know it broke all the records for uh, the the amount of funding that they've the, that these kind of neurotechnology companies have gotten, which has been awesome. You know, might say it's a bubble a little bit. We'll see. But um, you know, we have to we have to be able to uh, live up to the promise of of you know what we what we uh, promise and then and then actually deliver it. But but uh, yeah, it's definitely brought in tons and tons of money. Up until now, it's mostly been government grants or defense research or just kind of um, uh, maybe even like nonprofit or something like this. But now actual companies are being formed with actual business plans that are self-sustaining and that can actually you know, grow these technologies. So um, yeah, it's it's kind of a it's kind of a great time to be alive, you know, and, and great time to be in the field. It's it's been around for a long time. People have been sticking wires in the brain for a hundred years now, but but now it's actually coming into something. So it's pretty cool. And what would you say is the commercialization goal of Neuralink? Like, what are they trying to do as a business? Yeah, so the I mean Elon's Elon's stated goals is like to if you can't beat him join him, you know, for artificial mm-hmm. intelligence. He thinks uh, artificial intelligence <laughs> is going to take over the world and and uh just will be house cats, you know, and essentially everything will be controlled for us and and uh that it'll eventually kill us, you know. And 
again, I, I don't believe that because I believe it's a, a, a neutral tool and it just depends on whoever is holding, you know, the tool. Uh, but, but yeah, we can have extremely powerful intelligence and, and everything around us and it's not going to be, not going to be bad, but what they're actually going to do, who knows? And, and I kind of see it as a, uh, Starlink, uh, sorry, and, and SpaceX mm-hmm. and Starlink, um, you know, their stated goal is to go to Mars, but that's a really far goal. You know, you're not going to make money for that yes, yes, for yes. decades, right? Um, uh, SpaceX has been around for 20 years now, right? And and they're still maybe 20 years away from going to Mars, you know, and, and let alone making money from that, you know? So, so up until that point, they're doing something called Starlink, which is basically selling low latency internet, you know, to, to people in rural areas. And I'm like, wow, this is brilliant. So who knows what, what that's actually going to uh, do, what, what uh, Neuralink is actually going to uh, go towards, like the, the stated aim again is to, to fight AI, you know, and to, to do this. But in the meantime, in the, you know, next five or 10 years or something, it might be something different. And um, there's a lot of stuff that's very promising, like what we talked about uh, that they could do. And something that we didn't talk about is something called deep brain stimulation. And uh, basically what this is, it's uh, stimulating very, very deep parts of the brain, not on the surface, but like very much at the core. Mm -hmm. And this has a lot of nice effects, um, like curing Parkinson's. So instead of you're not shaking, it kind of calms down your body. And it just kind of triggers certain circuits that just like calms it calms it down and so you can finally write or you can eat or something without your hand shaking and they found that this a lot of this is uh implicated with like things like depression alzheimer's you know the memory stuff uh a lot of addictive things so uh opioid withdrawals uh alcoholism obesity you know a lot of times these are things that are um you know addictive things and maybe there's just some circuit that's always turned on and it shouldn't be mm-hmm. turned on you want to turn it off and so you can do this uh, like deep brain stimulation that's what i think they're going to go after i think they're going to eat these companies lunch the the medtronics you know the mm-hmm. boston scientifics that make these uh deep brain stimulators because the ones that they use right now are very very crude and i think if you have these smaller more precise you know 10,000 channel uh electrodes versus the eight channel ones that they use right now, uh, I think it can be much more precise and, and you can fix a lot of these things. So that's, that's why I think their actual agenda is that that's their actual business plan uh, over the next few years. But uh, we'll see. We'll and see how it goes. Where's the innovation in there? Because you mentioned the Medtronics is a very big company, Boston Scientific. Why wouldn't they go towards that route? Uh, like what are, what is Neuralink innovating in? I think it'd be the size, um, the cost. So, because <coughs> I think I think this is very similar to what space, SpaceX is doing. You know, like uh, up until then, you know, Boeing, Northrop Grumman, they weren't really incentivized to lower prices, to to make things faster, cheaper, safer, all this kind of. Well, safer, yes, but but not uh, cheaper because the government was paying for it. It was essentially unlimited money, uh, and I think that's what's going on with the the you know incumbent medical device companies right now too is a you basically have insurance paying for it or medicare or something like this which is we can call it unlimited you know deep pockets and so if you have uh one of these surgeries these procedures cost fifty thousand hundred thousand dollars doesn't matter you know we don't we don't care also hospital prices are inflated blah 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 so so you wouldn't even be able to get that down but i think um and again this is what Neuralink had talked about is is uh it would be kind of a 
inpatient procedure, you know, so you would go into almost like a strip mall, uh, almost like a LASIK eye surgery. And for a few thousand dollars, you could get this done. So basically, at that point, you could pay it out of pocket. You know, you can't pay $50,000, $100,000 out of pocket. That's that's kind of a lot. But uh, $3,000 is doable, especially if you're like, hey, you're going to cure your obesity for $3,000, or you're going to cure alcoholism, uh, whatever, you know, so I think that's huge. And but these other big companies, they're not thinking about that because it's just like, why would we spend lots of money to drop our prices by 10 times, you know, and then and then what, what's the point of that? Like, why? They're, and they're just making so much money. They don't even want to think about it. You know, they're making okay. billions of dollars a year. So uh, but that's that's what the Elon companies do, in my opinion. That's what I've seen. I, I would agree SpaceX. with that. Yes, yeah. Yes, yeah. They've dropped uh, rocket prices by like 10x and like... The Boeing, you know, uh, the alliance. What was it? Uh, the oh, I can't think of the, the, the alliance. Rockets. What's that? The yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, Just the, the platform. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah, the yeah. platform for them is more expensive than the rocket. Than the whole rocket and then the everything. The whole the whole package for for SpaceX. NASA's rocket. Like exactly. NASA's rocket. Like they're trying to just continue um, getting rid of all of it instead of reusing. Yeah. And they're just throwing it away. Exactly. Keep taxes pay for it. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> why would why would they lower prices? Why would they break their back to lower prices? But I think I think uh, you know once you do do that, then why would you pay ten times more for something that's worse? You know, and, and again, these uh, United Launch Alliance is what it's called. United Launch um, Alliance. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's also you not only is it not only is it you know ten times more, it's like way slower. It's like five years behind schedule, mm-hmm. you know? And so these things take like decades. And then meanwhile, you know, SpaceX is just boom, boom, boom. They're able to, to yeah. iterate very quickly. So yeah, and I think that's going to be the, I think, I think uh, Neuralink is going to do some more stuff actually. Yeah, exactly. We don't have to, uh, like United Launch Alliance is like, they're still innovating. They're still doing pretty cool things, but yeah, it's just, I would imagine it happens that you just get stuck. Like you, you just get used to how things are, how slow progress you're making, and yeah, you you kind of like lose the spark of innovation. That I would also argue that Elon pushes, and it pushes hard. So yeah, you could have the like for example, would, would you work for Neuralink? And because uh, I I'm asking that question because it the baggage of working for Elon, the baggage that working for Elon brings, like, it, it's pushing, like, it, it's, as you were saying, like, thinking of how to make it faster, cheaper, safer, and do it by next week, and, like, would you work in companies like that? Yeah, I think that'd be, I think it'd be really good. So for me, I'm very much interested in the organization uh, of it and uh, kind of the, the setup and what things look like and, and from the inside, you know. So I'm, I'm looking at it from like a, almost like a managerial perspective. I think there's a lot to be learned uh, from this. So I think it'd be really cool. And, and yeah, definitely. Like he's, he has a um, reputation for being a slave driver and you're sleeping <laughs> under the desk and, you know, doing crazy stuff that you never worked that hard in and your life. And people do that willingly. Yeah, exactly. And for not much money, you know. So, but I think, I think it'd be really good. And, and um, you know, Despite you know career advancements and everything like this, a lot of people uh, in Tesla or SpaceX or something like this, they they work there for a few years and then they go make their own company. And because they have the name, you know, the hey, I worked in this company, they can raise lots of money. Yeah. 
<coughs> so yeah, that's I I think I would do it. You know, it'd be like, uh, why not? You know, but but uh, I think it'd be really nice to to see something that moves that quickly. You know, yes. and and okay. uh, at uh, least for a little bit. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. To see because you know a lot of times in academia or government or something like this, again you, you see the opposite. You know, and something that you're like, okay, this this should only take a, a, a week, it might take six months or something like that. So. Um, yeah, no, I think I think it'd be good. Just just for the organizational like aspects of it, I think would be for me that's the most interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Cool, cool. Yeah, and we've been talking about companies uh, and the innovation that they're doing. But again, since you're there, you're way more expert than me. Like what are the challenges? Like what is holding innovation right now? Like what would you say are the difficult aspect that's preventing this from advancing? Yeah, so I think a lot of it is, uh, is actually what I'm working on is is this uh, uh, the body rejects a lot of these um, things that are you know implanted into it, which which makes sense. You know, the body doesn't want random foreign foreign objects in it because it's probably going to bring some kind of pathogen or you know weaken it or something like that. So I think that's a big part of it. <coughs> Another big part, I think. The brain is much more complicated than we think. And, you know, I, I've kind of given a simplified model of like, oh, it's just electricity and they're talking with electricity. And But we haven't talked about the different cell types, you know. There's uh, excitatory, inhibitory neurons. So, like, there's ones that if they're firing, they speed things up. And then there's other, other t- cell type that if they're firing, they slow things down. And uh, I think that's just the tip of the iceberg. Uh, they're finding that in... in um, retinal cells there's 20 different types of of cells you know the actual neurons the actual uh not just the actual retinal cells but but what communicates with the retinal cells and i think uh i've, I've heard the argument that this is probably what's going to happen in the brain too is like we're going to find out there's like there's 20 25 different types of neural cells you know mm. and and um and you can, I, I like to think of it almost like people or or different cars on the road or something like this so you got you know normal cars you got like uh delivery vans you got fire trucks ambulances you know you got all these different things and right now we're just kind of turning on turning off the stoplights and we're just like wow look look at all the stuff that happens you know if you turn and turn off the stoplights but there's so much more going on and that we have no no idea and like each one is doing their own thing and going their own place and doing and they could have kind of like the same principle of the engine to drive them, but do different applications and different functions. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They have the same mechanism, how they're how they're actually working. But yeah, like a, a police car and a fire truck are doing different things. Mm-hmm. <coughs> so, and they're going for different places at, at different times and everything like this. So yeah, I, th- I think it's going to be similar to that. I think it's just going to be, you know, we're going to find out like, Wow, this is really complicated, <laughs> and we're gonna need some really powerful computers to be able to open that up. And we might not even understand what's going on. Like the computer will just be like, "Trust me, I got this figured out." You're and never you have, gonna understand. Yeah, yeah. You have no this idea. is a hundred-dimensional matrix. Yeah, you're not gonna understand. Yeah, this. and this could be places where you could have that interaction with machine learning and uh, brain-computer machine interfaces, where you have that amount of data that you're just trying to find patterns into it. So you just throw algorithms and you'll get answers, but you might not know exactly what the answers are. And with that comes interesting interesting problems. For example, 
the privacy of it. Like when you have this much data and this much personal data of a brain, uh, you could come into issues where what happens if somebody that you don't want has access to this data and yeah, they could do something against you somehow. Like they could figure out that you have some sort of disease or something. I talked about this with a professor that's researching security and privacy and the intersection with machine learning with those. So yeah, do you see also that as a challenge? Like, and how could people in the industry could start approaching those kinds of things? Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're talking about this, I mean, like we talked about, you know, directly linking to the organs, you know, and, yeah. and so you could have the the pancreas like shut down. You could definitely you right. could kill organs, right? Right. <clears throat> it can be extremely dangerous, you know. It's almost like almost like a pacemaker or something like this, where uh, it can it can just shut it down. So, yeah, that's that's it's one thing to have your computer like lose its data and you get a virus or something like this, but yeah, if your pacemaker gets a virus. Oof, that's that's really bad. Or or you know the the electrodes in your deep in your brain. If that gets a virus, oh man, I don't know. Like you could die, and maybe you'd be even happy. Maybe, maybe there's even face fates worse than death. But uh, yeah, I mean, definitely like uh, cybersecurity is is very important, and and you can do. I, I'm I'm not an expert in this, okay. so uh, but but I mean you can have things that have direct links maybe maybe it doesn't go over the internet maybe it doesn't connect to wi-fi and uh so that increases the the security like somebody has to actually bring a device to <coughs> on top of another device or something like that to be able to read the data or change it or something like that so that's something that could uh that could happen as well uh but yeah that was something something we're gonna have to figure out and it's gonna be an arms race between you know good guys and bad guys essentially it's just gonna be like anything else where you know uh, you got a small amount of bad guys, but they have enough power they they can cause enough damage that you need like a larger army of good guys to always fix things up and patch things and everything like this. So, um, but yeah, no, that's uh, and there's also the multidisciplinary aspect of it, right? It's not only people researching like neuroscientists that are researching the brain. There's also computer scientists that are dealing into these issues, mechanical engineers, and biomedical engineers. So that might also be. Uh, challenge right like there's many problems like small problems that you can look into like because you're for example your own research your own research is from what I've seen is more like almost like material science kind of right just like picking the right enclosure for these types of um, devices so that the brain doesn't attack it so yeah maybe you could touch a little bit more on that like what are interesting problems within that like how do you start solving how do you talk with something that doesn't want to be talked to yeah definitely definitely that's a that's a question that a lot of men might have for dating (laughs) 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 or or anybody like i want to talk to a famous person Uh, i want to talk to you know whitney houston or something like that and and how do i talk to somebody who doesn't want to talk to me she has no intention of talking to me but yeah, no, that, that's a really good question. And I mean, uh, this is this uh, interdisciplinary, interdisciplinary nature. I mean, we're talking about like, yeah, material scientists, uh, electrical stuff. You have to be able to um, decode these. Maybe you're designing hardware, so you, you have to design ASICs. Uh, you're doing machine learning, you know, so you have to be able to program this. And 
you know, fabrication kind of stuff. You have to be able to know the neuroscience, the actual parts of the brain. Where are you doing? What are you doing? Why are you doing? Whatever. Um, and uh, so it's such an interdisciplinary. And obviously, if you want to do, you know, business, you got to have the business side, and you got to have the regulatory side, the FDA side, and uh, then you have to be able to talk with the patients, and you have to be able to talk with shareholders, and then your employees, and everything like this. So, so it's a very difficult thing. It's very interdisciplinary. I'd say, yeah, maybe again, I'm a little bit biased. It might be one of the most interdisciplinary thing. Just. With one, you know, small company, you could have people from eight or ten different fields that have to interact with each other, speak the same language, all this kind of stuff. And so I think that's that's a you know huge thing, and but also it kind of makes it fun because you, you get to learn so much, uh, you know, mathematics and and you know all these all these kind of crazy things that are you know somebody's specialty, and uh, but you have to know it all honestly, <laughs> or if you don't, then you have to be able to talk to somebody very quickly, very clearly, uh, who does know, you know, that, that, that part that you're, uh, looking to get into. So yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. And I mean, I think there's in this field, there's something for everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. If you like this thing and if you're mechanical, electrical, whatever, yeah, there's places like this that you could work on. Yeah. And we've been touching a little bit on the technical side, but also challenges that I saw, is let's say you're the president of the brain computer interface X and you want to implant chips in the brain of people. How do you convince them to do that? Yeah. Like, how do you, because I, I asked this some friends yesterday, like, would you do this? And they asked me, yes, I would do it. <coughs> if they have data showing me that, that it's safe, but data of 50 years. So, yeah, like, and there's just one person, like, you might not convince another person by just showing them data. And, yeah, have you thought about this thing? Like, how do you, how do you convince something that, how do you convince someone that, to take part of this industry? As a consumer. I mean, the need has to be there. If it's just like, hey, you'll be able to write tweets 20% faster if I opened up your brain, you know, and, and put this experimental thing, you'll be like, uh, no, I'm good. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. doesn't matter if you have 50 years, you know, uh, of data or not. But, um, you know, somebody who's paraplegic, who can't move their arms and legs, you know, that could be a very fast decision. Actually, the guy who did the fist bump with Obama, um, <laughs> he was telling me that they oh, barely, you interviewed him. I, I interviewed him, oh, uh, nice. Nathan, Nathan Copeland. Yeah, and uh, he was saying that they didn't even finish describing it, and he's already like, "Yes, I'm in. I want to <laughs> do it." Because for him, you know, he's he's in a wheelchair. He can't move his arms and yeah. legs, and and so for him, it's a big thing. And then on top of that, he's you know a pioneer in science, and and um, it's pretty exciting stuff for that. But but I think basically the need has to be bigger than the potential risk. So, you know, you got a risk reward kind of thing. And, um, you know, your reward has to be bigger than the risk, you know, so um, people have to and people are smart. And so they'll be able to weigh it, they'll be able to, you know, determine in their own situation, is the risk bigger than the reward. And I think that's, that's honestly it. And that's probably why it hasn't um, uh, expanded or hasn't grown as much as it probably could, because the risk is there. Like for for computers and everything like this, what's the risk of you know getting a nicer computer? Nothing. It costs you money. Whatever. Not a big deal. But uh, for this, this is like okay, what's the risk of somebody opening up your brain and putting something inside? Well, that's a pretty big risk. Like you don't have to be smart. You, you can be 
the dumbest person on the planet, you'd be like, I don't know about that. That doesn't sound like a, you know, it's got to be a really good deal for me to be, to be able to do that. I, I got to really fix some big, big problems to be able to uh, agree to something like that. So I think I think that's pretty much it is, you know, risk reward. And, and uh, uh, that, that's why wearable uh, neurotechnology is so, so much more attractive, because it's just a, it's just a helmet, it's just a, you know, uh, headphones that you put on, and uh, you don't have to open up anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's interesting right now that, tell me if I'm correct in this, that maybe a limitation is that, or for the past year, the risk for normal people have has has been outweighing the rewards so how do you test this technology right now is for people that are disabled or that they they kind of move or they have this big disease or alcoholic or they're obese and yeah i mean is that kind of have you seen it that from the past years like the testers have been people like not the regular people, like people with specific conditions that this would make them more attractive. This this technology would make it more attractive for them. Yeah, I mean, up until now, it's been mostly being focused on the, the prosthetic side of things. So definitely people that are missing an arm or leg or, or uh, you know, can't move their arms or legs. That That's uh, because it is such a, it is much a clear risk reward. Like, hey, you can't move and you'll be able to move a robotic arm. You know, not perfect, but it's better than nothing. And like kind of what you're saying, you have independence, you have uh, self autonomy, and um, you're able to you're able to uh, do this. So that's that's kind of more attractive for that. But yeah, uh, I think as it becomes, as we find out more and more things, especially in the addiction side of things, I think that's going to be um, much easier. You're going to see a lot more patients and kind of quote unquote normal patients. Like just by looking at them, you'd be like. They don't look different or anything like this. Uh, but, um, you know, obviously if somebody's can't move in a wheelchair, you can look at them and be like, okay, that, that's different. But, um, no, I, th- I think it's going to be more and more mainstream, more and more normal people. Um, but, yeah, th- and, again, that th- the data has to be there. Like, you can't just say something like, oh, I'm going to cure addiction. I'm going to cure alcoholism or something like this. People are going to need to see the data, see that it works. Yeah, and, and, it, and it's difficult even <laughs> with the data because normally data doesn't really convince somebody. I, and, yeah. th- and that has been interesting because in the field that I'm interested in, in self-driving cars, it's the same issue. Like, how do you convince somebody that this car is safe just by showing data? Yeah. Like, it's like, oh, trust me. Or like, here are some graphs and plots that show you that you will be okay. And you'll, your time, you, like, you won't have to bother driving or and you won't have to... Uh, yeah, you could do all the things while you're driving, your commute will be faster, whatever the benefits are. Uh, the big negative is like you could get into a car crash. So people are like, ah, maybe I'll pass at least for a few years. Like it's a difficult problem, right? Like introduce them to this like innovation just with facts and statistics. Like that, that does, that's not really that convincing, right? And I guess what you would argue, what you would respond is, the reward has to be way stronger than their feelings. Yeah, I mean, you're right. Like, data is not a very human way to approve something. You know, actually, I would say uh, a lot of people, 
uh, you know, you kind of have this innovators curve and everything like this. So you get the early adopters. It's the five, 10% of people that are like, <coughs> those are maybe the ones that are swayed by data. And then you get the people that, that come later and everything like this. But I think basically you have to see somebody use it and a friend probably, yeah. you know, you have to have uh, a friend, you know, have full self-driving uh, and then have them use it for a long time and be mm-hmm. like, Hey, what, what do you think about it? Maybe take a ride in the car or something like that. Uh, I think that's, that's much more, that'll sway a lot more people than, than data that that's, what's going to sway, you know, the 80% of people, yes. the first five or 10% that the, the crazy, ones. They're, they're the crazy ones that they'll try anything and then they'll be swayed by the data. And then the 80%, <laughs> the middle 80%, that's, you know, kind of, um, the ones that, need to see it to believe it, I guess. And then the last 5 10%, 20% are, are kind of the ones that are like, okay, everybody else is already doing it. It seems safe enough. Or maybe they they're, yeah, you know, they, 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 like they don't it. even do it. Yeah, yeah, like not right. everybody has a smartphone, right? Like mm-hmm. some people have, you know, the, the dumb the phone, phone still. Right yeah, there. flip phones. So uh, they just might never do it, you know? So but that's fine. You know, that, that, that's good for them. So, yeah, I think I think you're going to have to just see people do it, you know? And, and, uh, and that means, you know, you need millions of patients, millions of, full self-driving users and and then yeah i mean let's say let's say one out of 20 people has you know full self-driving how long before you would talk to that person and maybe even drive with them or something like this it might be a year or two three or something like this before you get to that conversation and uh so i think i think uh you know you kind of have this time constant as well so you could have a lot of people relatively speaking uh that are doing it and that they're maybe evangelizing they're talking about their story a lot but it's still not that fast i guess so you'd still Mm -hmm. need a few years of it just kind of settling through like people are getting Uh, used to the idea exactly seeing their cousins like oh maybe i'll try it yeah 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 i I think that's how it's gonna have to go you know yeah be like oh you have a you have a brain implant what (laughs) I didn't know that. I couldn't like, tell. Tell me about it. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, is that is that why you uh, you know got rid of the alcoholism and and uh, uh-huh. lost fifty pounds? Oh, and how do you like it? And and has has it been you know working well? Is it uh, does it hurt? You know, uh, did it was it expensive? All these kinds of things. And then you'd be like, wow, I'm pretty you know. I'm addicted to video games or something like this. Oh, maybe maybe I could do it. Oh, okay, yeah. Maybe. Uh, do you have a good guy that that uh, you can talk to? And and you know, I, I'd like to learn more about it or something like this. So. That's that's a very human conversation, I would yeah. say. That that's yeah. a very like typical yeah. uh that's probably how it's gonna go, honestly. Yeah. And and again, I mean like if somebody has a bad experience, like, no man, like my cousin died. Like I have it too, but my cousin died because of it, you know, and or he's he's paralyzed now because of it or something like this, then then that can also obviously sway it in the, the opposite yeah. direction. So um yeah. But that that's that's how humans work. And I think it's good. I think it's good. Yeah, I, I like being human <laughs> for now. <laughs> so for example, what would you you've mentioned risk versus reward. What would be your reward to have something implanted in your brain? Yeah. So so brain again is, is a is a bit higher of an ask, you know. Okay. And, and uh I think I don't know. I, I I think it'd have to be like the the focus and and what I really I, I'm obviously, you know, very much enamored with this, uh, the matrix style, like, Oh, I know Kung Fu. It'd probably have to be that honestly, <laughs> where like you can learn anything or you can like download information or something like this and be like, Oh yeah. What was the, what year was the battle of Hastings? You know, as you like put it into the, yeah, put it into the conversation and you just like kind of come up with it. And so you'd look like the smartest person in the world. Everybody'd be like, wow, he knows his, you know, 
I don't know. He knows his 14th century poets really well. Like how yeah. how and is that? And the Google that in amazing? your base, like yeah, like exactly. <laughs> it it probably have to be something like that. So. That being said, for a peripheral nerve implant, I think that the ask is much lower. Mm. So for somebody to be like, hey, we want to plug in, you know, an electrode into your your arm nerve, I'd be like, okay, yeah, th- that's dangerous. That can that can potentially leave me with a paralyzed arm or something like this or, um, you know, cause issues or pain or phantom, you know, God knows what. But it's still better than opening up your skull and yes. putting something in your brain, you know. So, so uh that ask would maybe need to be smaller. Maybe, I, I don't know, like maybe we could still do the matrix st- style stuff with it, but it could be smaller. Like, Hey, um, I don't know. We can read your health or something for your whole organism or whole body or something like that. And so, uh, yeah. And then if it's wearable, you know, like, Hey, put on these, these headphones, like it'll help you focus 30% better. Like, yeah, sure. Sure. Especially if I get it for free, you know, like uh, yeah, if, yeah, if money's exactly. on issue, then then uh, you know the, the ask or the, the risk reward is is much much lower. So, um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think I think with me too, I've been interested in the idea of like wearable devices, like even like Fitbit type devices that you can just log data, of pressure and blood, and yeah, like simple stuff like that that could tell you a lot, right? That you could. If you know what to do with that data, that that could really be a super useful piece of information. Like for example, people that have the the device that tells you like, oh, you're close to a heart attack. Like pay, pay attention. That's, like I, I, if if it's easy enough to just put in, if it's cheap enough, I would yeah sign me up. Yeah, if it's safe enough, yeah. So uh, maybe we can switch on the switch to the more personal side uh what is the what is the joy of traveling hmm. like you have your travel wisdom podcast why why did you start it or like why have you continued it and why do you what what are you trying to communicate to people with that podcast yeah, so the point of the podcast is that traveling is more than a vacation, but it can be a learning experience. And I love traveling. You know, I, I haven't done too much since I moved to uh, Florida now four years ago. But before that, you know, I was I was studying in in Germany and in Europe. It's very easy to travel, and and like you said, I deported to Siberia, and so uh, been to a hundred countries. So I I really like it because it's it forces you to be awake and to be alive and to like try to survive, you know, because if you're in, you know, Uzbekistan and you don't know where you're going to sleep and, you know, you're, you're hungry, you got to figure out food and everything like this, that's a very unique experience. And you're going to have to, you know, figure some stuff out and kind of do a lot of things that other people don't have to do. Uh, and it's fun and, and you learn from it. And it's, it's a, it's kind of a, a learning experience. You, you get to know yourself better, what you can and can't do and what you do under pressure, everything like this. So, um, and obviously you see cool things and, and uh, you know, be a part of history and, and see things, you know, as they happen somewhere or something like this. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really exciting stuff. And, and I always, I was trying to, I guess, justify it to myself a little bit, be like, okay, I like this hobby. I'm spending a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of money on this. And it should be more than just, you know, a hobby or something like this. It should be something that's building, you know, my, mm-hmm. my future or something like this. So, so that was kind of my, my way of doing that. And I was talking to people like, okay, is travel just 
travel and vacation, or it can be uh, something that plants seeds for success later in life. And uh, yeah, so I, I've kept it up because it's just so easy to keep up uh, a podcast and and uh, kind of slow down sometimes with the the uh, uploads. But uh, it's a, it's a good way to talk to interesting people yeah. uh, that are outside of my you know brain computer interface space. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, and even you've mentioned many benefits. Also, like the human connection that you get into those places. It might be difficult because of language barriers in some places, but just to be able to communicate with somebody that might not even know, like just through sign languages, you can learn a lot. I mean, you could uh, learn about many different perspectives that people have, different cultures, and yeah, probably you've done that quite a lot. How, How would you say, how has that impacted you personally and how... How have you tried to um, overcome language barriers? Yeah, so you basically realize that you can more or less communicate whatever you need to do. And and honestly, if you have money, you know, if you walk into a restaurant and you don't speak the language, but you have $20 in your pocket, they'll figure it out. They'll, <laughs> they'll know. Like, it's not a big deal, you know. Like, people people will try to help you. First of all, you know, it helps them and uh, maybe financially or something like this. Second of all, they feel good because, you know, they see some lost person who doesn't really know wearing their shoes on their hands, you know, like kind of just completely this alien from another world. But uh, and, and so you get to you get to help like almost like a child. It's mm-hmm, kind of nice. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I mean, honestly, it's 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 usually not that hard and people will figure it out. And if you're trying to go somewhere, you just say the name of the city or the name of the place that you're trying to go. And then people will like point you in the direction. So it's, it's usually not too bad. It's just going to be kind of scary because yeah. we're used to having <laughs> a control. And, and I, I, that maybe that's why I liked it too, is because you almost become a child and you almost, depending on where you go, what, what everything like this, how different your language and culture is and everything like this, you become, you know, you're not an adult anymore that can communicate your thoughts effectively. Uh, you are like a four-year-old child that needs people to survive. And it's a weird feeling, and it's really cool to to go through that, and it's very humbling. So I think it's really, it's something that people need to experience, you know, and it's, it's a fun, it's a fun experience to do. It's it's difficult. It's not fun. I mean, it, it might not be fun. It, it could be very stressful, uh, and you could feel like you could die or something like that. But uh, yeah, usually it's, usually it's not too bad. And and yeah, with language stuff, I mean, you, you learn a few words and people are like, oh my God, you're, you're an expert at the language. You're, you're so talented. And you're saying, oh, thank sure. you. I, I am, I am, I am pretty talented. So, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, it, it's fun. It, it, it's, it's just a really, I, I highly recommend it. And you can usually travel for very, very cheap. Uh, and yeah, it's just awesome. How have you approached the problem of learning a language? Yeah. So. I've learned a, a good amount of languages and, and uh, honestly, you just have to not be afraid of looking like an idiot. You know, again, you're, you're going to look like a child. You're going to you're going to go from, you know, communicating like a 20, 30 year old or something like this to communicating like a three year old. And that's if you're already pretty good. You know, you might be communicating at a, a one year, one year old level like ah, ah, hungry, hungry, you know, kind of thing for, for a long time. And you just have to get used to it that you just gonna, you're going to look like an idiot, and you're going to and you're going to study for years and hundreds of hours, and then you're going to talk like an eight year old, 
and you know you're you're gonna be able to talk about very simple concepts and and everything like this. But if you get into philosophy, oh man, like you're you're not gonna like I have no idea. I, I couldn't tell you. But uh, but yeah, so you just have to you just have to put in the time, honestly. And you know there are maybe shortcuts. There are multipliers. There's people that are talented and they're better. But let's say they learn they're, they're some super freak genius. You know that that somehow their brain chemistry is twice as fast as you. Great, they're they're twice as fast as you. They still have to put in. Um, you know, hundreds of hours of study to, to be able to do this. And there are charts basically uh, saying like, if you start usually with English and you want to learn X language, you know, this is how many hours it's going to be. So mm. usually the Spanish, Portuguese, Italian, Norwegian, those are kind of the, the easiest ones. And I think that was on the order of like 500 hours of study. So mm. three to 500 hours of studying of like dedicated, like you're sitting down, you're learning this stuff um, or lessons or something like that. You know, level two ones are like the Arabic, Thai, Russian, Polish, all this kind of stuff. Kind of like more difficult grammatically. Words are different, everything like this. Uh, those are, you know, on the order of 1,000 hours of, of, you know, dedicated study. And then there's like the the Uber, you know, the Japanese, the Chinese, uh, the crazy languages uh, that are have like zero relation to English and uh, that's that's on the order of 2,000 hours. So again, let's say you have this genetic freak that's like twice as good. You know, they're still going to have to put in at least a few hundred hours of study, which is a lot of time, a lot of dedicated hours, a lot of weeks of like doing lessons and, and really focusing on it. So that, that's really it, you know, just just focus and dedication and, and then you have to have a reason to do that. Like you have to have a reason to spend hundreds of hours, many, many weeks. You know, you're not just going to learn Norwegian if you don't need to, but if you're living there, if it somehow helps your, your life, yeah, you might learn Norwegian over a year or two and, and get pretty good at it and spend tons of time, effort, money, everything into it. So, um, unfortunately that's the, <laughs> that's the, that's the secret is, uh, there is no secret. <laughs> Interesting. But have you had some sort of process in the languages that you've heard that you've learned, for example, like taking a class, like learning grammar and, or just speaking with people or like going to a class and having conversations with other people learning that as well. So for me, yeah, the, the grammar is not very fun, like grammar tables, verb tables, everything like this, which is how unfortunately classes, uh, uh, classrooms, you know, teachers teach Normally, this stuff. Yeah. yeah. And, and to me, it's kind of the backwards because you don't need to know the grammar until you need to know the grammar. Mm. Like you'll know when you need to know the grammar, like <laughs> you, you know, people don't understand you. You got the words, right. You, you got everything, but they just don't understand you or think you speak like a caveman or something like that. So that's honestly, usually a little bit later. Mm. Uh, for me, I like uh, the most fun part is honestly learning the words and uh, just doing kind of vocabulary. So there's there's apps and stuff like this, almost like flashcards where mm -hmm. you, you go through and and uh, you learn the vocabulary. And um, so I, I especially like the apps. Uh, it was just kind of a fun way to do it and to, to automatically uh, keep track of everything. So the flashcard one is called Memorize, and that's a good way to to learn this and it has nice little ways to remember things. So uh, die Gesellschaft in, in German means the society, you know? So it's like, oh shit, that's a, hard, that's a hard word, you know? But you can think about it like, you know, somebody uploads like a little uh, cute way to remember it. It's like, uh, what kind of society would we be if we let gazelles die in shafts? 
you know, like, like mine shafts and boom. So you just like integrated all the words. Okay. And, like and tricks like that. Tricks okay. like that. Exactly. Okay. And so, so you can remember certain words very easily because mm. you're like, oh yeah, what kind of society would be? something, creating stories exactly. with the word. Exactly. Mm. Or like, oh yeah, it sounds like this and, and it's similar to this or something like this. So that, that's really cool. Another one I like is a uh, Duolingo <laughs> and, uh, I, people actually, a lot of language learners don't like it. Uh, they, they hate on it. Yeah. But, but I actually, I, I learned a good amount of languages with it and because it's fun, it's easy, you know, it's colorful and you got a little owl and is crying if you, if you get something wrong. Uh, so you want to make the owl happy. And, and so you're doing like sentences and it's just, it's just practice. You're just doing the hours and hours of practice and it's a good way to do that. Um, that's a little bit more fun, maybe more like a game. And, um, yeah. And then there's also, I, I would highly recommend, um, you know, classes. So zoom classes, especially now after mm-hmm. the pandemic, everything like this, uh, that was a good way to do it. And, there was a, uh, a service called uh, Lingoda, and basically, if you were able to do a certain amount of classes per month, then you would get a discount, you know. And, and so it was, it was a kind of a fun way to, you know, uh, maintain, you know, this this effort and everything like this. But I think that's a really good way. So so definitely later on, uh, you need the classes, but but also in the beginning to, to just talk with people and everything like this. And, and that way it's actually useful for you and not just some academic exercise, you know, learning vocabulary or something like this. You're actually using it. So, uh, yeah, it's it's fun. It's good. Uh, but, yeah, it just it takes a lot of time. Cool. Cool. And I think we're wrapping, up, we're wrapping things up. But before that, what advice do you have for people maybe trying to get started into your field? And not knowing exactly how, what would you say? Yeah, so, I mean, I'll, I'll tell people to do what I did, you know. I didn't go through the front door. I went through the side door. I, I jumped through the window, you know, and, mm-hmm. and uh, did the kind of uncommon thing. Like, I started a podcast to get a PhD. Like, that's a very strange thing. Um, and a lot of what I had done, I, I was never really a good student. Uh, but basically, I did a lot of cool projects and uh, did a lot of cool things that, you know, got me into the master's, got me later into the PhD and did all this weird stuff that that's, you know, just kind of different. And, uh, you just got to follow your own path. And, and unfortunately, uh, the scholarly, you know, academic side of things, it's, it's good. And it can show that you're like, you know, a good worker and diligent and, you know, are smart and everything like this. But, uh, you know, you can also show creativity and, uh, resourcefulness and, uh, you know, just kind of outside of the box thinking in other ways too. So, um, you know, I had entered a business plan competition or I had, I had gotten funding for, you know, some, some business ideas that I had, or, you know, started the podcast and starting all these like businesses and everything like this. So, you know, you can, you can definitely do, um, I, I would say if you do what everybody else does, you're going to get what everybody else gets, you know? So you have to, uh, do the different thing, the weird thing, Again, that that's probably just my personality. I like the weird. I can't do what everybody else is doing. I got to do the 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 weird thing. But uh, I think I think it's good. I think it's a good way to do it. And you know, uh, yeah, be weird. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. Final question: What are you grateful for? Yeah. So, gratefulness. Um, I'm grateful for this whole system, like all this invisible stuff that we're like walking on and using and just, just, you know, internet and, and just all this, we don't know how it works. Like, 
you explain internet, you know, like, I don't know, where does it come from? You know, all this kind of stuff. And uh, it, it's kind of magical that, that we live in a, you know, such a functioning society. Uh, because again, like traveling around the world, I've seen a lot of places where it doesn't function so well. And, you know, next day, Amazon delivery, doesn't, that's not Sounds on their right. radar mm-hmm. as a reality at all. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing. And so, yeah, honestly, it's, uh, I've always kind of been reluctant to, you know, be like, oh yeah, America's great. But like, America's pretty awesome. And, and, uh, the West is, is pretty great because, you know, I've seen, I've seen the alternative and it's fun. It's good. You know, it's, 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 it's entertaining, but like, if you want to get something done, it's not good. And if mm. you want to, you know, do like high level science or you want to talk to really smart people or, you know, whatever, then, then you do need this system. And uh, another thing I found out is, is why I went back to the U S is the funding here is great. You know, the, the, there's money for this kind of stuff. And, and honestly you need it a lot of times you, you, you can't have, you know, zero funding and, and, you know, things are held together with bubble gum and, and, uh, you know, sticks and everything like this. Uh, it's nice to have nice stuff. So it's, uh, it's kind of been a big realization, but, uh, you know, I kind of came back with my tail between my legs a little bit. I was just like, mm-hmm. oh, I guess, I guess America is actually pretty good. <laughs> so you gotta be, you gotta be grateful for the, the small stuff, you know, the, the invisible stuff that, that makes things work. Appreciate it so much, man. Yeah. Yeah. I really love this. So thanks for having me. This was fun. I think that's kind of the the path of humanity. Things that were impossible before and things that, you know, were only for kings even a hundred years ago. Now everybody has it, you know.